Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. And in this episode, I'm going to answer a few questions from listeners. So one of them is going to be about using other affiliate programs. One's about hiring on Upwork for writing and potentially other jobs as well. And then guest posting. So shout out to the folks that uh, send me emails, feedback at Doug.show. Anyone can send me those emails and it's a great way for me to get ideas. And you get a little shout out too. So Luke sent the first one, Matt sent another one. I usually just use first names so uh, people can remain anonymous. And um, the guest posting question, it comes in from so many different people. So if you sent that in, you can consider it one that uh, you get credit for. So shout out to you if you ever had a question about guest posting. So cool thing with this one, I'm actually recording this episode outside. I am uh, by a greenway. There's a St. Varane greenway that goes through Longmont. And I don't know if it goes through like other towns um, that are nearby, but here in Colorado and like Boulder County and in the surrounding area, there's a lot of greenways and I'm right by a creek here. And I'm actually going to publish this video on YouTube so um, people can see. Now, the funny thing is because of the the time of day and where the sun is setting um, to the west, as you can imagine, the lighting is a little rough. So instead of having beautiful mountains in the background, there's like some mountains, but there's also a water treatment plant. <laughs> so that doesn't look as nice, I would say, but I'm recording with my Yi 4K camera, which is like a GoPro type action camera so very wide angle and you can't really see those um the water treatment what are, what are those things i don't know it's like those round cylinder looking things water tanks i guess they are i don't know what they are i don't know what they are to be honest with you anyway you can't see them but there are mountains behind me you got long's peak back there it's fantastic there's some clouds around it today but it's just a beautiful sunny day here on the front range. So I decided to come out here and record. The cool part is uh, there's a highway over, not, not too far away, maybe uh, 100, 100 yards in one direction because of the microphone I'm using. Um, you can't hear that, I hope. And I'll also try and remove some of the noise. Another great thing today is it's not incredibly windy. Yesterday, it was so fucking windy. It was insane. Um, I had, it it wasn't even that cold. It was maybe like 28 degrees Fahrenheit. And, um, I was freezing. My eyes were watering in the morning. So, um, I, I couldn't go out for like a long walk with Georgie until I really bundled up. And today it's beautiful. feels kind of warm. The sun's, the sun's shining. It's beautiful. So what we're going to do is answer these questions and a quick reminder that you can send in uh, number one voicemails. Those are pretty cool. I have one on deck. Um, I don't, I'm not gonna answer that question today, but I have one on deck, which is cool. Um, just about 100% of the voicemails have made it on the air. So if you send, if you send one in, a couple tips, aim for around 90 seconds. A great way to approach it is to write out exactly what you wanna say and then time yourself and read it and aim for that 90 second mark. One minute is fine too. Two minutes is okay. I believe there's a three minute limit on the Google Voice uh, number that I have. So if you you go over three minutes, then you end up getting cut off in the middle of a sentence. You'll feel funny about it, 
and then you'll think I, sh- I should have listened to Doug's advice. So voicemails are great. It's a good way to spice things up. And then feedback at Doug.show. I get all those emails, put them in the queue. And um, a lot of times they're just like multiple questions that are around the same topic. And it helps me sort of like, you know, put together a nice episode. So another thing I want to mention, this episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and I'm very impressed with their site speed accelerator. The site speed accelerator basically helps you speed up your site. It's a very, uh, it's, it's not a creative name, but it's very descriptive and I appreciate that. Uh, basically, I was playing around with it for the past few weeks and I just published a recent video on YouTube where I took a site that had basically no optimization done. It had a absolutely terrible, terrible uh, Google page speed insight score, which is like the de facto like standard sort of, uh, I guess, speed test that you want to do. I mean, that's what Google is rating your site on, right? So there's a lot of factors in there. Some people don't like it um, for certain reasons, but in general, like if you're trying to make Google happy with your page speed, that is where you should be checking it. So I took a site from roughly a 27 to 30 for the mobile score, which is a little more difficult to increase a few more things you have to take care of to uh, 98 to 99. So let me say that again. I ran the test with no uh, like optimization in place and it was a 27 to a 30. And then through uh, a couple clicks of a button in about, I don't know, five minutes or so, I retested it and it was in the high nineties. I documented it all in that video. And if you want to check it out, you can Google like a uh, page, uh, Google page speed insight, Site Speed Accelerator, Doug Cunnington, something like that. You'll be able to find it. It's also on my channel, so you can find it there. Okay, so thanks a lot to Ezoic. I will be speaking at their conference in uh, 2020, April 3rd, at uh, Pubtelligence in New York City at the Google office. So I'm very excited about that. It's coming up soon. I'm partially terrified and very excited. It's a free event to attend. You do have to apply, um, but they have you know, small online publishers, huge ones, big companies. And uh, somehow I worked my way onto that stage. Thanks a lot to Ezoic. Let's get to the questions here. First one from Luke. And basically the gist of his question is around using other affiliate programs. So he sent me a few emails. We went back and forth a little bit. Basically he was like, ah, well, Amazon Associates only pays um, roughly 1% to 10% for a commission rate. But when I look at share sale, when I look at commission junction, if that's still around, or ClickBank, many other programs seem to pay a higher amount. Maybe it's 12%, maybe it's 25%. If it's an info type product, it could be like 50%. A lot of software products will pay 50%. Or if there's some sophisticated funnel behind it, you may get a pretty huge commission rate. So he was like, why why would I even waste my time with Amazon? It's a good question. I I get it all the time. Because when you just look at the pure facts, it, it looks like all the other affiliate programs are more profitable and why waste your time with Amazon? From my standpoint, Amazon 
converts a lot better. Um, for example, <laughs> I buy most of the things that I order online from Amazon. I have Amazon Prime. I know my family members do too. So like my parents, uh, my in-laws, both of my sisters, um, my two brother-in-laws as well. And just basically everyone seems to have Amazon Prime. People buy a ton of stuff on Amazon. The friction to actually make the purchase is very low. So that's number one. People will convert on Amazon. If you can just get them over to Amazon, they're probably going to buy something. Even if it's not the thing that you are providing a review on, there's a high likelihood that they're going to buy something over there. I oftentimes have something just sitting in my cart because I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to order something. I just ordered like uh, some new, uh, it's like watch batteries for some small electronics that I have. And I ordered, I ordered some, I put it in my, or sorry, I, I put them in my basket. I did not order them. So they're sitting in my shopping cart and I'm like, ah, I need to get something else, but I can't remember what it is. I'll just order it later today. And then I remembered what it was. I think I actually Googled some like review type site um, or term and then ended up clicking through the affiliate link, buying the product. And I mean, I know exactly how the affiliate model works. And the point is um, people will buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. People buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. So no, that's number one. And I'm mixing a couple, so I'll, I'll number them. Number one, people buy stuff on Amazon. The friction is lower. So the conversion rate on Amazon is going to be higher. So for example, um, and I'm just making up numbers, just random numbers. Basically, if if someone lands on Amazon and they're um, interested in a product, right? They They got there based on some review that you put out there. You may have, say, 1% of the people actually go and purchase that thing, um, which is low. Actually, let, let's, fill, let's say 5%. So five out of 100 people that make it over to Amazon via your link are going to buy something. So five out of 100. And that's a decent conversion rate. If it's some other program, if it's some other, pro, like, let's say it's a, a random site, People have never ordered anything from there before. They're going to have to create an account. They're going to have to put in their credit card information. There's like five more steps. Even if it's straightforward, there's like five more steps they have to deal with. And just that little bit may deter them from actually making the purchase. Where on Amazon, it may be a one click. So the conversion rate is going to be higher. The conversion rate is going to be much higher for Amazon. Point number two. People will probably buy, not always, but a lot of times people buy multiple things in the same order. So once I'm on Amazon, even though I have Prime, I don't have to pay extra for shipping, I oftentimes will try to group an order together with multiple products if I know I have to order multiple things from Amazon. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's a holdover from back in the day when we used to have to pay for shipping, which for other affiliate programs, they may actually charge for shipping. For example, um, I've, I've ordered some, uh, I think it was like uh, pictures. It was like uh, framed pictures or something like that. Um, I, I sent, it was Shutterfly, right? So I sent stuff to Shutterfly, my images, ordered something. I had to pay for shipping. They don't have free shipping or whatever I was doing. They didn't have free shipping. I couldn't find a promo code. So I had to pay for shipping. So that's another friction point. And I believe the, uh, just the fact that you, people will buy multiple things in the same order, huge selling point. So overall, 
you know, those are three main reasons. And I think the other is there's such a wide range of products that you can offer from Amazon. If you are, let's say you find a great ClickBank offer and you build a site around it, you spend a lot of time, you're, you're ranking organically, you're making good money, and then the company changes the um, affiliate program for whatever reason, or they discontinue it because they don't like it. They don't have to have a specific reason. They could just change the rules and basically um, discontinue the selling the product. And then what do you do? You spend all this time ranking for a certain thing, and there's not much you can do with it. Technically, Amazon can change the rules too, but generally um, those changes to the Amazon Associate Program, it's very slow. It's a very big program, very, very big program. Usually any changes are very slow and not abrupt. They're usually, it's nothing major, usually. So there have been times like back in 2017, about three years ago in March, Amazon changed the commission structure. They changed it. Um, generally, it went down for most people, um, but it, it was just a change. It used to be volume-based. So the more products you sold, regardless of the price, you ended up um, making more uh, on the commissions if you sold more products. So they changed it to be category-based. So if uh, like a specific category... I can't, I don't have the numbers in front of me or anything like that, but let's say, um, like clothing products pay 10% and then electronics pay 2% back before that. If you sold the maximum number of products, I think the highest rate was something like eight and a half percent, uh, for the commission rate. So they, they shifted it in, like I said, Amazon can change things for the associates program, but generally those are minor changes most of the time. Okay, so overall, I think Amazon is the best choice for most people most of the time if they're trying to get started with affiliate marketing. If you're already started with affiliate marketing and you know you know certain pieces of the game as far as like SEO, ranking for certain terms and producing content, managing your site, all those little details. If you already kind of understand that, then you could choose other affiliate programs and you understand the pros and cons. So you probably already know. If you can get into like hosting reviews, hosting companies pay a pretty big commission if you can get someone to sign on. That's why a lot of people get into that area. It's hugely competitive though, and generally a beginner is gonna have a tough time getting into one of the high commission areas, high ticket items where you know each signup could be 60 to 100 to 150 or $200. Um, those are pretty competitive because there's so much money involved in it. And there's a lot of people that are highly skilled that have migrated in that direction, whatever it may be, it could be some other high ticket items out there too. So. Amazon's a good choice to get started, and that is why I talk about it most of the time, and it's you know pretty easy. So if someone has just like a regular old blog, let's say it's a travel blog, there's a lot of products that you can mention, and it's pretty natural. You don't have to make a huge stretch to mention products if you just have a regular blog, regardless of what the topic is. So 
Thanks a lot, Luke, for sending in that question. Number two, question number two is around hiring on Upwork. So I talk a lot about hiring on Upwork. That's the primary place that I hire any kind of uh, assistant that I need. So my video editor, I hired her from Upwork. All the writers that I hired, uh, I found them on Upwork originally. And um, any content editor was one of the writers that I promoted that I found on Upwork. My assistant, my executive assistant right now, I found her from Upwork. So that is kind of the place that I go to. They have changed their pricing structure over time. It's a little more expensive to hire people. It's a little more expensive to work there as a freelancer. But in in my view, it's a great place to hire people that want to get started with you know, freelancing and that sort of thing. So this specific question was hiring on a like hourly basis versus a per job basis. And it came in like this. So I talk about hiring on Upwork and, and maybe I'm just gonna make up numbers that are I think competitive and useful right now in the first half of 2020. And I think th- these prices will hold true for another 12, 18 months. So let's say you wanna get a 2000 word uh, product review type post. I think what did I say? 2000 words. So I would say if you're paying maybe 35 to 50 bucks, that is going to be okay. Just generally, that's going to be a a fair rate. Uh, Maybe a little bit more expensive if you're, if it's something more uh, like detail oriented where the person may have to do a little research. So, you know, roughly 2000 words, we'll just say 40 to 50 bucks. So I'm, I'm changing the, the, the goalpost as, as we talk about it. But basically I'm saying, hey, you could hire someone to write something, tell them how long you want it to be and pay them a flat fee. So that is like a project-based payment structure. So you pay them a flat fee, it's a fixed rate. It's a fixed rate. So you tell them what you want and they deliver the end product based on the word count and other specifications you may give. If it takes them two hours, you don't care. That's fine. If it takes them 20 hours, you don't care. That's fine too. It's just a per job basis. So that that is how I like to hire people for writing. That way, if they spend more time on it, it's not going to cost you a lot more. So for writing, that's what I like to do. And Matt basically was like, well, when I'm looking at writers, they seem to charge by the hour. So I don't know what to do. And generally, here's how it works. If you're hiring people on Upwork, you are the client, you're the boss. So if you want to hire people on an hourly basis, you can structure the contract that way. You just say, I want to hire someone to do this work on an hourly basis. This is how much I want it to be. Or if you want to structure it on a project basis, a flat fixed fee basis, then you could just say, I'm, I'm going to spend $50 and here's the specs that I want. And if it takes you a short amount of time, that's great. If it takes you longer, I don't care. That is totally up to you. You are the client and you enter this agreement. Now, the cool thing with Upwork, because it sounds like you haven't used it too much, Matt, the cool thing with Upwork is you get a little protection on both sides, whether both sides, whether you are the client or if you are the freelancer. So the money goes into an escrow account that is managed by Upwork and the money is not released to the freelancer until you approve the work. So 
you have a little protection. They have protection in that they know that you're good for the money. You've already paid it. You pay it ahead of time, but it's not released to the freelancer yet. Quick note, I mentioned content manager. So I, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, I guess, upgrades and, and it allowed me to scale to hiring a content manager. That's what I'm trying to say. So hiring a content manager slash editor allowed me to publish a lot more content faster. Before that, I was publishing the content and editing and formatting and doing all the management on my own, all that stuff inside WordPress. It just took me a really long time and I just needed to stop doing it. I realized that I, that was the huge bottleneck and I hired a writer. She did a wonderful job. We had a good rapport and I asked her if she wanted to do something a little more interesting, editing, content management, and not as much writing, which they usually like the variety. No one's turned me down, by the way. If, if you ask them if they want to do something a little different and they've been writing for many months, they probably want to do something a little different. It's a little bit different work and it's still in the same area in that it's you know content creation and editing and usually they have good writing chops and, and they appreciate the editing part. So for a gig like that, I thought it would be more fair to the freelancer if I paid them on an hourly basis. So I decided, hey, I'm going to pay on an hourly basis and 10 bucks an hour seemed competitive. So that was great for them. And they accepted the job. I hired, I think, three or four other people to do similar similar work. And I've paid 10 to $20 per hour. All the people were based in the U.S., and they did a great job. Again, hourly basis. The reason why it makes sense for an editor slash content manager to be paid hourly versus you know the writer getting paid that fixed fee, the editing and the content management can take different amounts of time. So if the writer kicks ass, then maybe the editing is pretty easy. They can fly through it. The formatting is straightforward and maybe it takes the content manager you know, 15 minutes to format and add links and just generally process that piece of content. So that totally makes sense to me. And some other pieces of content, maybe they suck. Maybe they have to edit it pretty hard. Maybe it's just generally longer, right? So sometimes I have content that's a thousand words. Other times content, maybe 5,000 words. That's going to take longer even if it's well-written, there's no misspelled words, the grammar is tight. So in, in that way, I was like, what's the, what's the most fair way, the fairest way? I don't know, fairest, yeah. What's the fairest way that we can uh, like arrange this? And in, in that in that specific case, I pay hourly. My video editor, I pay her hourly, right? Uh, my videos are various links, long, like uh, various links. I got a fat tongue here in, late in the day. So yeah, basically those kind of those kind of tasks where it can be a variable amount of time and it's not really project-based, in my opinion, paying hourly is a better way to do it. I could, let's say all my videos are um, created equal. They're not. 
let's say all the videos are created equal. And in that case, perhaps, right? Maybe it makes sense to just pay a flat fee. And that's how, I mean, there are many service-based businesses that are, I guess, arranged that way. Basic, uh, like podcast editing, right? So there, let's say um, there's a service out there which there, there are many services out there and maybe they, they charge like uh, $150 per episode. They'll do some light editing to clean up any verbal ticks. I don't have any of these services, by the way. I do this on my own. They clean up verbal ticks and they create show notes. Maybe they put some links in there and do a couple other little like minor processing, admin bullshit kind of things. And they charge 150 bucks. Maybe... Maybe that's uh, a decent approach, but generally, in in my opinion, not always, but I'm kind of a do-it-yourself kind of person, and those services are very expensive. Like when I started this podcast, I didn't know if anyone was going to listen to it, thanks to the people that are listening, but I didn't know if anyone was going to listen to it, and I knew that I could do the light editing and just general admin bullshit that I was talking about before on my own, and... I was like, hey, I, I think it'll be interesting to try it. And it's really, you know, not super time consuming. And I kind of enjoy, you know, some pieces of that that work. So I've continued to do the the editing. And Georgie's getting scared for the people on, vi- on the video. You may be able to see she heard a loud noise. She's very, um, she's a very sensitive lady. And... And kudos to this microphone because you can't hear you can't hear the loud noises going on around me. It, it's pretty amazing, actually. Okay, so let's let's uh, wrap that one up. If you're hiring on Upwork, you are the boss. You're the manager. You can create the contract and the payment structure how you see fit. So if you want to pay hourly, pay them hourly. If you want a fixed fee job basis, then create the gig that way, and. Another quick tip. Um, So Matt probably was like browsing different writers on there. Don't browse for any of these um, gigs. Like don't browse the freelancers. People go in there, they create an account and they're, they're doing other shit. So either they, they never pay attention because I've, I've talked to multiple people and actually I've done this too. You go in there, you spend, um, you know, hours, you spend multiple days, multiple hours filtering and looking at all these different freelancers. And then you send them messages. No one sends you any message back. And you're like, I just wasted so much fucking time. Upwork doesn't work. What you need to do is post a job with some specifications on what you're looking for. You can classify it um, so that the right people, the right freelancers will see it. And then people that are looking for jobs at the time that you are hiring will see it and you will probably get some bites then. The big problem is timing. So if you're just browsing for freelancers, they may not be looking for a gig at that time. I mean, I like back uh, right when I got laid off, I created a freelancer account. I had it active over on Upwork. And, you know, for years, I ended up getting messages like, hey, do you want to do some like guest posting work, blah, blah, blah. And at that point in time, I was like not doing any, I was not doing any kind of service-based business like that. So um, the point is, 
you need to post a job. Don't browse for freelancers, post a job. That is the best way to hire on there, which I think maybe is the, the deeper point. I could maybe do a whole episode on hiring on Upwork. Okay, last question here choosing a guest posting service. And lots of people ask this question. There's a few videos out there on YouTube where I show you how I, you know, select a guest posting uh, package. I typically am ordering from the Hoth at this point in time. I've had in the past, right? Say four, four or five years ago, I had like mixed results and I heard mixed results for people that hired um, for the guest posting service over on the Hoth. About a year ago, I decided to revisit my assumptions that maybe they weren't doing a great job. I was pleasant, and I tested this out for six months before I even talked about it on my blog or YouTube. So I, I definitely try and test things out before I like move forward with it, as far as like sh- sharing sharing my uh, opinions. So. I've been very impressed with working with the Hoth. The key thing, right? Huge thing that they changed and one of the reasons why I decided to revisit a guest posting service and in using a company like the Hoth, they allow you to choose based on the organic traffic to the site. For years, as far as I know, the standard for choosing a guest posting package was based on the domain authority which is a metric put out by Moz. And generally it tells you like the, the backlink profile uh, as far as like how quote authoritative it is. The problem with that is it can be manipulated pretty easily. I mean, like readily, very easily. And that, that's the thing that happened. I, I would, again, a few years ago, not with a Hoth, but I ordered, I was uh, testing out a guest posting service. I won't mention which one. And basically the metrics were fucking great. It was like a DA60 and they had a bunch of links. And then when I looked over on Hrefs, I saw that they got like 400 links, uh, planes flying over, great. Uh, basically that, that specific website got like 400 links in like the last three months. And when you look at the graph on like the link profile and the number of links over time, it was like pretty flat for, I don't know, say two years. And then it like jumped up by a huge amount just before I ended up ordering the guest post. So the DA in any other metrics can generally be manipulated because those are usually a snapshot, a numerical value based on the number of backlinks and the general quality of those backlinks, which they can be manipulated. The cool part the cool thing that the Hoth has done and some other services have followed suit is you can pick based on the organic traffic. You can check the organic traffic on third-party tools like Hrefs, KW Finder, SEMrush. SEMrush is really great for that kind of stuff. And you can see, hey, this website is ranking for 30 keywords. Um, They're clearly getting some traffic. I can see that people share the content. Like you could verify the sites getting organic traffic from Google. The theory is to tie this back is Google probably likes the site if they are ranking the site for keywords and sending traffic to the site. Google likes it. If they're ranking it, Google likes it. The backlinks we want, um, 
should be coming from sites that Google likes. So through that just little change, allowing people to, you know, pick the guest posting package based on whether or not the site gets organic traffic, that little tweak like changed everything. So the the links that I've been getting, the guest posts that I see out there are fantastic. I've been really impressed with the quality of the sites. You can check out like blog posts and see people are commenting. Like there's a real community around some of these sites. So depending on your niche, I mean, your mileage may vary, but I've found it to be like very effective. Now, the caveat, right? If you're If you're strapped for cash and you don't have the budget to pay for guest posting, then you're going to have to do it on your own. Guest posting either takes a lot of time if you're doing it on your own, or it's going to be quite expensive if you're hiring a company to do it. There's no way around it. It's a time-consuming process. So if you're not doing it, someone else has to spend a lot of time on it, and it's going to be expensive. So, I mean, if you are strapped for cash, I would say, you know, try to do some on your own. Maybe once you start, you know, making a little money from your site, then that's a good time to reinvest and maybe pepper in occasionally some of these guest posting services. So with that said, my fingers are getting cold out here and um, my head's probably getting sunburned. The people that are watching the video, you could probably see it's, it's quite bright. It's quite bright. And poor Georgie, she's so, she's so scared. Um, she just gets so scared with these noises out there. So I'm going to end it here. Everyone have a great day out there. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm gonna leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.